welcome. You are listening to Housing for All, the podcast that believes we all deserve a great home that allows us to flourish. I'm Chris, and my co-hosts are... Mary, we hope you enjoyed part one of our first episode. And I'm Andrew. Thanks for coming back. What are we talking about today, Chris? Well, today we're going to be taking a deep dive into the housing systems of Norway and Singapore, uh, which are unique because they rely on homeownership extensively. And we're going to be judging them according to our four criteria. Um, So again, those were, can people afford a place to live? Are people forced to move if they don't want to? Is the housing of high quality? And is housing cared for to last for centuries? So that's affordability stability, quality, and uh, responsible long-term maintenance. Well, I, for one, am ready for a little trip to Norway. Let's go. All right, so the first first housing model we're going to talk about is the Norwegian model. Um, So this one is based on public lending and home ownership. So the Norwegian model aspires to solve housing problems by making everyone a homeowner. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, that sounds good. Yeah. Based on what we've learned so far. Yeah. I, I'm like, all right. I'm, li- I'm already I'm, on board with Norway. I'm listening, Norway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, the first thing we'll do when we start talking about a new housing system is how well did the system work once everything was up and running? Right. So once all the major reforms are in place, but also in some of these places, the reforms were repealed or watered down. And so we're going to try to try to look at these housing systems after everything was in place. It was fully up and running, but before things started getting changed um, or getting watered down. Okay. Yep. So this is like kind of like peak performance is what we're looking at. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so the Norwegian model is based on home ownership, and home ownership has some really important advantages. So it's great for long-term maintenance. Homeowners tend to take very good care of their homes. Um, obviously, people just like to take care of their own stuff. They don't want to – nobody wants to live in a house that has problems. Mm-hmm. And so the housing tends to be high quality. It was periodically upgraded. It was responsibly maintained. Home ownership is also good for stability. That was our second criteria. Um there's no landlord. The home is simply yours. It's a very secure form of tenure. Yeah. So by relying on home ownership, um, there's some really key advantages there. I mean, people who eat that much cold fish and have that much omega threes flying around in their body must <laughs> have some, know something. Like their brains, their brains are swollen like watermelons. They're just. It seems like a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Especially what we know now about, uh, especially the rent, renting and landlords yeah, given- and how, how much of a rotten burrow that can be. Yeah. Um, it seems like a good idea. Plus, I think it appeals to um, home ownership, even though it is basically unattainable, although that's like fits perfectly with what we want as Americans. We want the things that then we can't have and we perpetuate a system that makes them farther and farther away from us. That's like kind of our whole bag. Um, but it appeals to me because as an American, I've been raised to think that homeownership is something to aspire to and want. And the idea of making that kind of shifting the paradigm on that and being like, no, you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to get to homeownership. It's just something that's going to happen to you as a normal progression of life. So another interesting thing, you know, you you kind of reference the American dream. There is only one country and, you know, the data are pretty hard to collect on, but it seems uh, or 
according to the data we do have, there's only one country that uh, where less than half of all households are homeowners, and that's Switzerland. Hmm. Um, other than that, every country, a majority of households are homeowners. Hmm. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't look at the American dream of homeownership as being pathological or unreasonable or, you know, yeah. I mean, I think there's just something human about wanting to own your home yeah. and uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe that certainly suggests that potentially home ownership uh, m- makes sense as a basic human right. Like that, that would be that, yeah. that strengthens it. It is something that many different cultures across the world prize, put emphasis on and the majority of people do own something. Yeah, like a, do own their yeah, houses. There's so, a consensus that like this is something that yeah. we should aspire to, perhaps even on like a primordial level. I'm, I'm speculating very wildly there without any background in evolutionary biology or psychology. Yeah. But it seems like that is that is reflective of like a deep seated desire, which which makes sense. Yeah. You know, we if 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 having a if having a place to stay, having shelter, meeting that basic fundamental animal need is met by owning a home, then yeah. I would not be surprised at all if our ape ancestors were having people over for cave warming parties and they were like, finally paid it off. It's my, all mine. <laughs> Makes can, sense. I can paint whatever I want to. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Anyway, back to okay. Norway. <laughs> sure. So um, so when everything was up and running, um, this was a great model for affordability. So once everything was in place, even the most disadvantaged Norwegian could afford to become a homeowner. And so we'll talk about how they did that. But by our four measures of um, by our four measures of affordability, stability, quality, long term maintenance, the Norwegian system worked really, really well. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good so far. So the big picture, there's a lot of homeowners in the Norwegian system. Um, that was the goal, and they really achieved it. So prior to the housing reforms, just over half of Norwegians owned their homes. In Oslo, only five percent did. Today, 80% of households own their own home. Um, but I think there's a better measure of home ownership um, because we don't want young people who might have to move for a job opportunity or for education. We don't want them to be homeowners. It's not desirable for young people to be homeowners um, because they might have to move. So a better measure, a better measure is that 95% of Norwegians can expect to become homeowners as adults. Ah, mm. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so how does this actually work? The two-word summary is public lending. Hmm. So the government created public banks offering mortgages to ordinary Norwegians. And the government gave these public banks a mandate that a typical Norwegian household should only spend about 20% of their income on housing. Okay. So, Yeah. yeah, So the public banks, they would subsidize the interest rates so that the monthly payments would only be about 20% of the income of a typical Norwegian household. Hmm. By comparison, a typical American household spends 30 to 40% of income on housing, and that's true at all income levels. For um, public housing residents, for Section 8 recipients, they legally have to spend 30% of their income on housing. So 20% is pretty low. Yeah, well, and it also seems like it was it, it's designed so that um, people can achieve this, can become homeowners while also being allowed to accrue their own personal wealth for other activities, yeah, which we don't seem great at in America. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. One other thing that is important is that, right, this is 20% 
while you're paying off that mortgage, once that mortgage is paid off, your housing, uh, your housing costs fall dramatically, right? If you're not paying your mortgage anymore. Um, so this was actually a key part of the retirement system. Um, it's easier to retire if you're a homeowner with your mortgage completely paid off than it is to retire as a renter. Yeah, for hmm. real. Yes. Yeah, that's like the the big thing that people um, like. I work I work in around financial planning, and that's definitely a thing. Like that's one. That's why it's a huge financial hmm. goal, is so that it, because mortgage is such a rate limiting step in your ability to continue to have to, to like accumulate wealth and then spend your wealth at a consistent rate uh, right. in retirement. Hmm. Right, right, and imagine paying rent every month as uh yeah if that's on, just like, on your social security check jeez yeah no no good no good so so oh yeah so we're gonna find everything is thought through in some, in some of these housing systems they really thought things through um so this statistic i would not have believed if i didn't find it in a peer-reviewed journal on housing policy norway's public banks did not require any down payment until 2010 Oh, at all? When did this? How so? How long did it go before? I'm sorry, did you mention like when did they start this? Oh, in the fifties. Oh, oh yeah, my gosh! <laughs> oh my god! Norway. I assume, I assume this was like a relatively like recent thing because of course now I'm looking at America's problems like oh they they must have had other issues they needed to solve with a dramatic uh, solution but no this is just like I guess World War II was the dramatic situation they had to probably solve well, how, potentially. How but. did that work? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, the short version is that the socialists took over. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, Those that's pesky what socialists always trying to home people. <laughs> I don't trust them. Yeah. Don't like them. Mm. What would Ronald Reagan say? I know it'd be something terrible and probably racist. JK, um, I'm a pinko commie. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, so there's two issues at play here. Um, for for this this lack of requirement for a down payment, which sounds preposterous to us, um, because in the United States to buy a home you need that down payment. Um, the first thing is that the down payment re- protects the lender, right? So if you're somehow unable to pay back your mortgage, the lender gets to keep the down payment. It's, it protects mm-hmm. the lender. Um, but people are very very motivated to pay their mortgage because if they don't they lose their home and so people will pay their mortgage before they even budget for food so between that and the fact that people are only paying 20% of their income on housing this is really really safe for the lender and if you require a down payment it's not going to make it any safer because it's already very safe right yeah that makes sense and uh, the other issue is that the lender is a nonprofit and they have a mission to maximize home ownership. So requiring a down payment is going to make it harder to meet that mission, right? We want you a homeowner as soon as you get a stable job. If we have to wait for you to save up for a down payment for several years, that's just going to get in that the way of that mission. Hmm. Right. It's it's um, you're prolonging the inevitable and kind of and, and forcing back that payment, that pay down process, 
which then would gum up the works when you like these people are getting ready to retire. Which once people can retire, then the workforce opens up for younger people, and it's yeah. it's all just a big circle of life. So yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> like let's let's like onboard this. It seems like it's designed with the people in mind that it's meant to serve, which is quite a foreign concept. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm uh, so far I'm like, why don't we live in Norway? Yeah, uh, I can handle the cold. I like cold fish. <laughs> I could do this. Yeah, it's, yeah. We, my wife has a friend in Norway, and we visited her once, and it is a very fun place to visit. Yeah, uh, I've never uh, been to Norway. I now want to go. Yeah, I mean, like I anyway. want to go anyway. But now I'd be like, "Ooh, your ho- your housing, <laughs> like, yeah." And then for disadvantaged Norwegian households who couldn't even qualify for a subsidized public loan, the government would offer down payment assistance grants. So basically, they would just give you cash um, to pay to the bank as a down payment until you could qualify for a public mortgage. So in practice, all Norwegian households, even the most severely disadvantaged, could afford to own a home. Hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. On board. Co-signing it. Let's do it. (laughs) So there is an element that helped that helped Norway get such a high 95% home ownership rate. Mm-hmm. And that goes down to one of one of the reasons for this is a key difference in how we handle multifamily housing. So in the United States we have condominiums, Norway uses cooperatives. So for example, today 40% of all housing stock in Oslo is cooperative housing. Hmm. Okay. How are cooper- so just to be- yeah? How are cooperatives? Oh, how are uh, cooperatives different for, different from? Con- I mean, so condominiums basically, it's like I I own my apartment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So a, in a condominium, it's a large building with many units of housing. You own your unit of housing, but not the building. Mm-hmm. The building is owned by a company. Right. A cooperative, you own your unit of housing, and then. Together with all of the rest of your neighbors in that same building, you own the building. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. So if your neighbor's roof leaks in a condominium, that's not your problem. You don't care. But because you, in Norway, you own... Like stock, I guess. Yeah, you, you are... The, 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 the health of the building as a whole is important to you because you're a part owner, it does matter to you. So I think that because you own that unit and if you ever, so if there was a problem with the building, that's going to affect the value of your unit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the the real difference is that there's just how management decisions are made, right? If um, So a cooperative is governed by the residents who live in it. And so, um, you know, there's no... There's no profits, right? You're the you you would pay a monthly fee in a condominium or a cooperative, um, but in a condominium, some of that is going to be profit for the company that owns the building. And in a cooperative, if you want to spend money on a garden and you can convince your neighbors to do it, then you can do that. Um, whereas in a condominium, if the if the company doesn't want to spend some of the monthly fees on a garden, then they won't. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so it gives more more agency and empowers the people who actually live in the building versus a shady outside force hmm. that owns the right. Mm-hmm. Makes right. Right. Um, so, uh, so 
you know, just real quick. So in in Norway, you were able to pool public mortgages to buy a multifamily building. So, for example, let's just say you and nine of your closest friends want to buy a 10-unit apartment building and turn it into a cooperative. You can actually take your mortgages and pool them to buy the entire building, and then you each individually pay back your your own individual mortgage. Hmm. And you can also build a brand new 10-unit building in the same way by pooling those mortgages. In the United States, there's really no logical way to do this. And so we don't have very many cooperatives in the United States. Um, where cooperatives do exist, so New York City is a good example, they were largely started with state support. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we kind of stigmatize them, like, or it's like sort of a joke about living in New York is that like you're going to move into a co-op. Hmm. Uh, so it's interesting. I mean, like when you when you at least at least when you describe it on paper, it makes perfect sense. It sounds phenomenal, frankly. Yeah. yeah. So that like even if you are living in um, uh, multi-unit housing, you still have a lot of the benefits of uh, home ownership that yeah. seem kind of like largely. Uh, even people living in condos are excluded from, and um, and you you have actual skin in the game that these buildings are maintained, and uh, and you're 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 living your best life, and yeah. your neighbors are living your best life while you're there. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, so broadly, that's how Norway housed the immediate post World War II generation. How do you house their children? How do you house their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren? So everybody's got affordable mm. everybody's got access to affordable housing right after World War II. What about their children or what about their grandchildren? How are we going to make sure that do they Well, I guess I, I would assume they potentially inherit the homes, but since families often have more than one child, that produces a bit of a surplus of people. To homes. Yeah, but how do you they... scale it for growing populations? Yeah. I mean, but then also I would think that like, you know, if you continue, I, I just, I don't know, maybe this, because that's like a problem no matter what, right? So if you're, if our population is ever expanding. Yeah. But we also know that we don't have people in every house that we build hmm. or apartment building that we build. Um. I would think I would think unless this was like a horrible drain or detriment uh, to public funds that could be used other ways, couldn't you just like keep this going kind of indefinitely? Yeah, um, yeah. So this is actually an issue we're going to get into next episode. So you're really smart in in foreseeing this. Mm. Um, and so yeah, there is there is an element of we're just going to keep giving out public mortgages, and it's always going to be available. Um, the other thing they did was to put price controls on houses that were bought using a subsidized mortgage. Hmm. So, oh, yes. So the idea is you had assistance, you had a public mortgage to buy this house, you had help from the public. So in exchange for that help, you can only sell this home for an affordable price, hmm. right? You can still pass it on to your children, but then your children would have to sell it for an affordable price if they ever have to have to sell it. That's um, so, that's really cool. So you're avoiding like the Brooklyn problem, <laughs> where yeah, yeah. where you had people who like when when it was low income housing, people came, people who foresaw that it could blow up, came in, bought a bunch of bunch of housing, and now force out people who 
you know, we're living in that that community for generations now are pushed out so that okay. uh, so that um, upwardly mobile people can live somewhere hip. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, the real impetus for for home ownership is the way to go is that they thought people sh- people need to be in control of their own housing and hence cooperatives instead of condominiums, even though both are technically home ownership and um, and that nobody should be able to profit off of a basic human need housing. And so that's why they wanted people, you know, no apartments, no condominiums, just owner occupied homes and owner occupied cooperatives. But equally, it's not right for even ordinary people to profit off of housing by getting a public loan and then being able to sell it, you know, several, you know, a few decades later at, you know, for a profit. That's not right either is, is the, the position that they had. So they must watch our like home flipping shows <laughs> and just clutch their pearls. They're like these. They're just like, oh, my God. Which, to be fair. It is justifiably horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. You can't just slap some granite countertops in a, <laughs> in a building and then, and then double its price. It's well, insane. Well, you can. It, it happens. Yeah. It happens for sure. It's insane. Yeah, it's not particularly good for our housing market. It doesn't seem like it anyway. So, um, okay, so to kind of conclude this section, just to emphasize how big this was. So there were two public banks that were making these public mortgages. And by the year 2000, one million homes had been bought with a public mortgage from just one of those two banks. Hmm. There are only 2 million homes in Norway. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. And so, like like we said before, it worked. To this day, nearly all Norwegians are homeowners or will become homeowners as adults. That's amazing. That's That's amazing. Yeah. And just, I mean, it's amazing, but also, like, the, the sort of, as an American, the tragedy is that it takes direct leadership from... A government who's invested in the well-being of its people, which <laughs> this goes to show. I mean, like we don't you don't need a lot of evidence these days to see the, <laughs> that that is not necessarily the case here. But like, it just seems so simple and elegant when you describe it. The idea that like everyone should have a home. Let's make it easy. Done. Yeah, I'm sure there's complications to it and sort of um, nuance that that I'm not aware of. But like, it, it just it just makes so much damn sense. That 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 like my head is spinning a bit, frankly, coming from a world where like nothing we do makes any sense. It's it's just it it's 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 amazing. It's mind boggling. So that's the whole point of learning about all this. Stuff. Hey, there we go. Hey, success. <laughs> High five. Yeah, great. Um, so the uh, so as to wrap up, we'll always look at housing systems that are similar. Um. So, okay, so, so what are some housing systems that are similar to the Norwegian model? So it's actually very similar to a community land trust. So it's the same idea. The home price is somehow subsidized, and in exchange, um, you can only sell that home for an affordable price. Totally. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting that Norway is kind of a big community land trust. Hmm. Um, and then... You know, really, any place where ordinary people can afford home ownership, there is some subsidy. One example that we can highlight is the United States. What? So in, the th- <laughs> in the third episode, we're going to look at the ways 
that American mortgages are supported by the government. Even though they're not public, they're still they're still supported by the government. So the difference between our system and Norway is not the level of state support. We have a very similar level of state support for home mortgages. We just have different expectations of beneficiaries. And we also, obviously, there's a very different experience with the people who are getting those mortgages. Hmm. Great. So I always love to find out that we're actually already doing all the hard work, <laughs> um, but we're just like biffing it on the landing. <laughs> oh. that's, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. So we, I mean, we really are offering a similar level and type of subsidy for homeownership. Um, we are just, so American households obviously aren't held to that condition that the home can only be sold for an affordable price. Um, and it, it's, it's a very, it, I mean, having, I'm a, I'm a homeowner myself, you two are homeowners. It's not a pleasant process no, <laughs> at all. Um, and we talked before about how unstable homeownership can be with the amount of foreclosures we've had. Right. This seems um, to, this seems to kind of curtail that so that people can um, people can buy homes and then uh, either sell it or pass it down to future generations. Meanwhile, we're like scrambling to hold on to the homes we do buy and pay them off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they don't get chewed up into a system that basically like is just fundamentally wasteful and hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, bottom line, our housing systems might look very different, but in many ways – they're very similar. Or they could be. Or like we're doing we're doing the hard work. We just we're aren't getting none of the benefits. We're just not benefiting <laughs> yeah. as much as we should be. It's the worst right, of all possible right. worlds, basically. <laughs> so stay so stay tuned to episode three. That is the topic for episode three. Nice. nice. Uh, so get pumped. All can't, right, so I can't the wait to be thing. horrified by that. <laughs> <laughs> So when we do a, when we do a housing system, the last thing we'll talk about is what happened. So, like I said, we're talking about these housing systems when all the reforms were in place and before people started changing things. So this is not one of our happy endings. Oh, so, no, Norway. Norway. Come on. <sighs> so Norwegians gradually forgot just how bad the housing situation was in the 30s and 40s. And... Um, in the 1980s, uh, price controls were phased out, subsidies on public mortgages were phased out, and kind of unsurprisingly, since then, housing prices have increased dramatically. Norway. So I made sense here. You <laughs> screwed it up. <laughs> Why? I mean, I kind of understand. I, I feel like once things start going really well... Um, it's very easy to forget, yeah. <laughs> like why you needed to do the things that you needed to do to fix it. Um, I think history supports that <laughs> that human inclination. Um, right, right. So, um, so one point of clarification. So there were other kind of deregulation pushes in the 1980s in Norway. One of them led to a severe banking crisis that was among private banks that had nothing to do with the public banks. Um, so just mentioning it for clarity. Um, so to answer your question, why did this happen? So again, this didn't have to happen. This was a choice that was made. And basically what happened was homeowners wanted to be able to sell their home at a higher price. And they lost track of where they were coming from and how bad the housing system was and why were these laws in place. 
and they just saw dollar signs or well they saw kroner signs and they <laughs> wanted to be able to sell their home at a higher price they didn't want to have to be held to that price control yeah turns out that uh Kroners can fill um, a Scrooge McDuck sized gold money pit to the sa- in the same effective way as uh, Americans. Unfortunately, none of us will actually ever experience that in our lifetime. Um, yeah, it just seems like it was like corrupted by uh, short sightedness and greed. Classic 80s. Yes. <laughs> Classic humans. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the last the last question here. Okay, so prices are so high because there are no more price controls. And there are no more subsidies on public mortgages. And there's even down payments now required on public mortgages. So how can the home ownership rate still be so high? Great question. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So home ownership is a very, very effective way to pass wealth on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So so in Norway, even children of very disadvantaged households are still oh. able to inherit wealth through housing when their parents or grandparents die. This is one reason why housing discrimination, just to link it back to the United States again, this is one reason why housing discrimination was such an absolute crime. People are still suffering from discrimination that their parents and grandparents encountered because they should have, their parents and grandparents should have been able to become homeowners and pass that wealth down to them for their education or any other needs. Hmm. Right. Yes. So I think... Even if, well, and I, and I suppose that there was like even sort of like a little peak um, of this, which was part of part of the, the greed of humanity, where their parents probably did get subsidized mortgages or subsidized loans, paid like paid off their houses, and then suddenly were able to sell them for yeah. more money, right? Right. And so right, then you right, had a little, cynical. so you had like a little windfall, yeah. right? Which, but that still passes on to your to the next generation. And and honestly, that's exactly what we do. Like our, you know, we kind of we hit big peaks and valleys, of course, with our housing. But you know, as on the rise, right? Pres- presumably, or at least like how we think about it is, you buy a house and then it progressively gets worth worth more and more and more money, mm-hmm. so that eventually when you need to buy a new house, you can sell your house or the portion that you've invested into it, right, yeah. <laughs> for a gain, and then you could buy a more expensive house. Like yeah. that's 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 sort of our our typical uh, American understanding of um, home home ownership. But these people are like buying their houses outright, and so they sell them. Yeah. Like you get like a little you get a little windfall, um, right. which 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 would help. Uh, it's better than what we're doing, but um, their old system seems like it was working way better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. This, like I said, this is not a happy ending. Yeah. Um, Norway. So, Maybe they'll find their way back. I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing. And again, we do this in this country. People will borrow against their home's value to help their children afford a down payment. That's another way they can keep that homeownership rate so high. Um, and it's just homeownership is just a really great way to pass wealth on to the next generation. And so even if you, you know, kick out all the legs from the stool, the stool still stands. Yeah, hmm. not as well, um, but it's right, still there. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. because unlike in the past, there are disadvantaged Norwegians for whom homeownership will never be a possibility. And that didn't used to be the case. Yeah. So the last thing we'll do to wrap up is look at our four criteria again, but this time apply them to the Norwegian housing system as it is today with some of these things having been repealed. So the first one is affordability. Um, So this is a little weird. Housing prices are not affordable, but because of the high home ownership rate, most people can still afford 
you know, home ownership is still affordable to most people. Um, our second criteria was uh, secure tenure. So again, very high home ownership rate. Housing um, home ownership rate is a very secure form of tenure. Um, but again, for both affordability and stability, if you're shut out of that home ownership system, you know, for whatever reason, uh, maybe you immigrated after these things were taken away, um, home ownership's just not going to be a realistic goal for you. Yeah. Um, so things are not so rosy if you're shut out of that home ownership system. Yeah. I mean, I assume, uh, I mean, like we didn't have the similar kind of a similar like a. Uh, uh, safety rails in place that we then kicked out we might have i don't know actually what our what our home what our rules around uh home ownership was uh kind of in like post-world war ii world but it does kind of seem like they're just like many steps behind where we were where it was like well first things got real bad for poor people <laughs> or first things got bad for poor people but like middle class rich people they were fine and then it just like slowly creeps up it'll be interesting to see over time if they course correct so that the majority of the community is still served or if they continue to like eat away um from the bottom and erode the foundations of their society like we have yeah yeah we'll <laughs> yeah. see um that'll be that'll be a fun interesting thing to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And then yeah. number three and four, um, again, high home ownership rates, so high housing quality and good long-term maintenance. That's kind of a given since there's so much home ownership. Yeah. 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 Nice. I mean, it seems to tick most of the boxes provided you can um, keep a firm hand on the wheel <laughs> and, yeah. not, yes. and not forget where you came from. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on to Singapore. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... The Singapore model is based on home ownership in public housing. So homeowners in public housing, that should raise, I expect, some eyebrows over there. Yeah. 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 I don't I'm not quite sure what that means, but um, but thrilled to learn more. Yeah. Sure. So um so I pause here because as Americans, public housing means rental housing. It just doesn't make any sense that you would be able to own a unit of public housing. That's why it's so important to look at other countries, because here's a country where most people are homeowners and most people live in public housing. It's a very good idea to have people own their unit of public housing, as we'll see in a few minutes. But we might not have come up with it. And that's why it's so important to look at other places and see what they do. Yeah, just kind of like shake our preconceived notions of like that's just those two things don't go together. Yeah. But like why don't they go together? We don't our reasoning is not any more sound <laughs> than obviously a person a place that's making this work. Right. So um so okay, so again, starting out, how well did this system work once everything was up and running? So again, we're staying on the home ownership theme. Ninety one percent of households are homeowners in Singapore. And like we said before, homeownership has some key advantages. It's good security, good long-term maintenance. The Singapore model also does really well with affordability. As in Norway, basically anyone can afford to buy a home, even the most disadvantaged of households. Um, Singapore has exceptionally high quality construction. Um, so this might be the best on the list for, hmm. um, for quality construction and long-term maintenance. Um, so... 
Uh, so public housing exceed. So at the time period we're talking when they first started reforming their housing system, this was the 1960s. Public housing greatly exceeded the standard of living in Singapore. And the public housing is also built to last for centuries. They just have excellent long-term maintenance. Hmm. Um, probably the best on this list for um, for those two two areas. Good on you, Singapore. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, how does the housing system actually work? There's one key similarity to Norway, and that's public mortgages. There's a very big difference. Norway has almost no public housing, whereas 82% of Singaporeans live in public housing. So I get, you'll probably get to this, but I'm curious, like, how how are we defining public housing in this context? Because I think that's something that I'm, because I, I know I know this is just my own sort of like limited experience, but it's still, every time you say it, it's still sort of like, I'm still very confused, I guess, as an American. Um, that's a, no, that's a great question. So public housing means that it is government owned housing. Okay. So it's actually owned by the government. So do, if you own public housing, does that mean that you have purchased housing from the government? Okay, so it's a lot like a government-owned condominium. Ah, so, okay. Yeah, so you live in your own unit of public housing, which you own as in a condominium, but then the government owns the building. Hmm. Okay. Okay, as opposed to uh, a condominium here where it would be owned by, like, a private company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, most likely a for-profit company. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, in practice, so in principle, it's a government-owned condominium. In practice, it operates more like a cooperative. Hmm. So, again, you own your individual unit. The government owns the building. But the government takes a really hands-off approach, and they allow the residents to manage their own building. And so the way this works is you would select your neighbors as a management board in annual elections, and then that... You know, your neighbors who are in that board would make the management decisions. Hmm. So in many respects, it, it is like the government owns the, the actual buildings and then they allow them to be run in a democratic fashion. Right. Basically. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about with public housing, which, again, very different from what we do here, where public housing is only rental housing. Yeah. There some more differences will be. Will become, will become apparent. Um, but yeah, so 82% of Singaporeans live in public housing. Okay. So, so 80, four so 80, out of five. Yeah. That hmm. makes me feel like, that makes me feel like, the, like that has to be good for the government too. Because we already, yeah. I mean, it's it seems like already our government is kind of like tied up and, and involved with our, our mortgage process. We just don't really necessarily see how that sausage gets made. This is at least very like across the board. It's like, yes, I definitely bought my house from my government and now I'm running I'm running my building with my neighbors. Yeah, there's a level of transparency here, it seems, if nothing else. Yeah. That's higher. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I'm going to say kind of at the end of this that there's a similar level of support for home ownership in the United States as in Singapore. Um, <laughs> we just, uh, but it just looks, it looks different. Yeah. Well, and it also would make me think that this is a great, like it makes, it actually makes a ton of sense that a community and the government would own the buildings that make up or that, that a community, that a government would own the buildings that form a community and then can have some 
but can both use that as a source of income for the community, right? Can like keep money coming, like cycling back to them and back to their people in sort of an endless cycle. But also, uh, they have skin in the game to keep that nice because yeah. it is their community. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Yeah. No, exactly, exactly. And so people have looked into this and they found that that public housing residents are so concerned about things like graffiti or vandalism or you know where's the nearest grocery store who's going to you know what's how nice are the cafes the parks um because right because they're owners it's really cool hmm. yeah yeah. And- yeah so like yeah so the the onus is and also they're they're giving their money that they're using to pay for their house right like pay off their mortgage or, or like you know pay out buy the house outright from the government that money can then go back to directly affecting the environment around their home as opposed to now potentially like, you know, just kind of like going off to a private company that does not care if you don't have access to a nice grocery store. Right. Could be in a different state even. Yeah. Um, <sighs> this so, might make yeah, too so much no, damn sense. <laughs> yeah, so, so this one, yeah. So, so that's actually the next, next topic is how, how the money kind of cycles through the system. But I just want to, I just want to repeat four out of five people in Singapore live in public housing. Yeah. Uh, we don't even have four out of five people living in owner-occupied housing in the United States. <laughs> you know, um, that's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. okay. So how does this, how does this actually work? So all Singaporeans participate in the Central Provenant Fund. This is basically a tax, but Singaporeans can withdraw the money that they pay into the Central Provenant Fund, except they can only take out money for medical disability retirement or housing needs Hmm. makes sense yeah yeah it's like a big health savings account but you can apply it to other things that are basic to your (laughs) well-being human needs yeah yeah Yeah. so in practice your typical singaporean is going to draw money from the central provenant fund to pay for a down payment to buy a unit of public housing that's just kind of your typical singaporean what he's what he's going to do Now, while your money is in the central provenant fund waiting to be withdrawn for a down payment, it's not just sitting there. The government is putting it to work Hmm. and they use it for two different programs, the housing development board and the economic development board. So let's talk about these two individually. The housing development board, one of the biggest things they do is to simply build brand new public housing buildings. The other big thing they do is to serve as a lender. Most Singaporeans buy their housing using one of the housing development board's subsidized public loans. So as borrowers pay back their loans, the housing development board pays the money back into the central provenant fund. So does that make sense? They're taking money out of the central provenant fund to build housing and make loans. As they get those loans repaid, they're generating revenue and that revenue gets put back into the central provenance fund. Oh, so just sort of like it it is not completely self-sustaining, but it's it it's designed in such a way that it does support itself effectively and right. to some extent. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is kind of this a similar um a similar way that uh that, that individuals can increase their wealth, right? <laughs> yeah. Like your money can work for you. Such yeah. that, such that you can continue to use it and continue to to profit, but you still are gaining wealth as it goes through. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, 
Okay, so the Economic Development Board is the other one. So the Economic Development Board funds the creation of companies to employ ordinary Singaporeans and spur on economic growth. So, for example, the Economic Development Board might decide to fund the creation of a company that manufactures fuses. Now, the Economic Development Board knows that they can't lose because the Housing Development Board needs fuses because they're building all this public housing. And the Housing hmm. Development Board can only buy Singaporean products. Ah. <laughs> Once these companies run a profit, then they're owned by the Economic Development Board. And so those profits go to the Economic Development Board, which then returns that money back to the Central Provenant Fund. Got it. Makes yep. sense? Okay. okay. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is in some respects sort of antithetical to the notions of like globalization wherein instead of like spreading your money all over the world you 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 do and you sort of like have more of a closed loop system wherein you 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 invest in your own i guess like i don't want to sound like a like where it's something sort of weirdly jingoistic nationalistic but like you do sort of like um you, you don't see money leaving you see money going and sustaining and sort of a in a um what i'm looking for here like a, a cycle which can sustain itself it's a sustainable economic loop in essence yeah, no, exactly. And this is absolutely not best practices, which is kind of ironic because it works so well. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, like, this is this is like the opposite of everything, every other financial thing you hear. Like this is, you know, yeah. it's, it's, right. well, it's it's kind of like to me, it reminds me of like this seems like a very stable way, but not a very um, lucrative way. Yeah, yeah, to go yeah. about this because we we always think about it as sort of a race to the bottom. You yeah. should be trying to figure out how to make things that you can sell for more money cheaper mm -hmm. constantly and this isn't like that yeah. <laughs> like no one's no one's going to become wildly wealthy doing it this way but you can right. keep going for a really long time yeah but 91% yeah. of the population can own a home <laughs> like, yeah which is pretty cool <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so i mean so absolutely the by buying domestically produced fuses especially early on when singapore was a complete backwater um, it was more expensive to buy those fuses from Singapore because they just didn't have that manufacturing capacity and they weren't able to meet the price point that they could have got from importing fuses or cement or bricks or wires or anything else they needed. Um, but they deliberately made that decision um, to support this economic model. Hmm. So the big picture here, your typical Singaporean... Um, might even work for a company that was founded and owned by the Economic Development Board. And so wherever they're working, they're paying a portion of their wages into the Central Provenant Fund, and then they will later withdraw some of that money for a down payment to buy a unit of public housing. By the time somebody is ready to buy that unit of housing, their contribution to the Central Provenant Fund was spent to build housing and create middle-class jobs, but then recovered as those enterprises produce revenue. I'm going to ask a potentially silly question. Um, isn't in theory this the this this is in theory how banks are banks are supposed to work, right? You you give money to an institution, and then they invest it wisely. But we see this sort of like absence of a moral imperative in the banking system. But there's sort of versus a greater sort of social sense of social good here. So this is like this this in many ways is like if a bank wasn't evil, 
Right. Yeah, this is like how uh, George Bailey describes banking yeah. in yeah, It's a exactly, Wonderful Life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> your your money, yes. your money is not your money. Your, yeah, your, your money is not on the safe. Yeah. It's in George's house. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's what this is. Huh. Like on a national level. Yes. This is amazing. Yeah. That's how public housing is built. So how do you get to live in public housing? And how are there so many people that are eligible to live in public housing? Great question, like ex- right? Because it's like four like four out of five. That's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the way I like to explain this is that there are two ways that a millionaire could live in public housing. So the first way is you... So there are income thresholds. Um, so in order to move into a new public housing building... You have to be a first-time home buyer, and there is an income cutoff. It's one hundred thousand dollars per year. Well, about the equivalent of a hundred thousand U.S. dollars per year. Hmm. Sure, it's a pretty pretty high. It's pretty high. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's really high. Now, yeah. if you have extended family members living with you, like you have children and parents living with you, then that can go as high as the equivalent of one hundred fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Hmm. Oh, so like a so like a a a couple or a single person. That first threshold is for them, but if you have yeah. a larger family, if your parents live with you, or you have okay. children, auntie or something, yeah. yeah, 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 cool. Huh. Um. So yeah. So very high. And then we already mentioned the subsidized housing development board loans. They use the same income cutoffs, so hmm. you're eligible for a subsidized public loan up to those same th- income thresholds. So, um, oh, and then also uh, new public housing units, the prices are actually subsidized to ensure that ordinary people can actually afford to live in them. (laughs) So crazy idea. uh, (laughs) So a millionaire could live in public housing by moving in when his income is below the cutoff and then becoming a millionaire. (laughs) Yep. And then once you move in, you never have to move out. Even if you become a millionaire, you can still live in public housing. That this is, is not at all how. Yeah, that's oh, not how it works here, right? Like, yeah. if you if you suddenly like that's part of the problem with public housing is that people will it's forced poverty, right? Right. Like well, you can continue to stay there if you remain impoverished, but then yeah. if you actually like start making money, then you get kicked out, right? Yeah. Right. Right. So people will actually turn down raises because if they get a raise, then they'll get kicked out of their home and and actually be worse off than before they got the raise. The term that Andrew used, forced poverty. That's kind of exactly what's happening. Yeah. You have to be poor to be in public housing and making a little bit more money will make you worse off because you'll get thrown out of your home. It's awful. And that's not what happens in Singapore. You can stay there no matter what. Once you're in, you're in. Solid, solid idea, Singapore. <laughs> yeah. Because you own your home. It's not yeah. renting. That's how they, that's how, that must be how it works, right? Like, yeah. I, I bought this house. It's mine. Yeah. Uh, not, not. I would say, stay tuned to next episode. Oh, <laughs> all right, sounds good. So the other way a millionaire could live in public housing, um, a millionaire could buy a unit of public housing that is more than five years old as soon as it comes on the market. Hmm. So let me explain this one. Only households below the income cutoff can live in public housing for the first five years. After that, they can sell their home at market value. So people can and do make a great deal of money selling their unit of public housing. Hmm. And people, like they do here in the United States, people often will sell to upgrade to larger, nicer housing if they can afford to do so, using the sale of their existing public housing unit to afford, you know, a better unit of public housing. Um, Very similar to the United States, but it's, you know, it's private housing. Yeah. 
So maybe this is also, well, I don't know what happens in Singapore. This might be a, this story might also end in a sad way. But uh, that seems to maybe also uh, curtail some of the problem with Norway where yeah. people wanted to um, wanted to profit greatly from their houses and kind of like ruined the system. Yeah, yeah. No, it is it is an interesting difference that it's really premised on this kind of profit motive of you ought to be able to profit off of housing, but only if you're an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so um, so it's really it's really beyond what we can we can talk about here about how they um, uh, how they control prices. Um, check me out on Indiegogo because in our in in that project i can go in and really explain how they're able to control prices despite having this kind of apparent profit motive so check out my indiegogo page <laughs> okay yeah. yeah sweet okay so um okay so the big picture here brand new public housing can only be bought by first time home buyers and up to about 100,000 US dollars income limit so pretty generous. Subsequent sales are private transactions without any price restriction. So even though it's public housing, it's still a private transaction and there's no restriction on it. That sounds that does sound kind of like the best of both worlds because again like you can you know you you it doesn't prevent you from like getting a home when you're a young adult starting out making money, you know, making like not a fortune. Um but then when you're like middle-aged and want to like get a place with kids, you can sell that house, have a bump in your own income to support those life goals, and everyone's seems to be okay. I don't know. That's that's I'm really nervous about what happens, if there's gonna be a negative twist. I know. On this. We we already got our <laughs> like, hearts broken by Norway, so we're like we're like stealing ourselves. We're like, okay, Singapore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to open my heart again, but maybe Singapore will, <laughs> will maybe, prove more. Maybe wrong. it'll work out. Uh, you know, you gotta. You, life is for the living. You gotta yeah, trust. Yeah. You gotta trust. I'm all here. I'm here for Singapore. This seems good. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's continue building the suspense by oh, talking <laughs> about disadvantaged Singaporeans. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. So, okay. So, nearly all Singaporeans can become homeowners, right? That's obvious. There's so many subsidies in the system. Um, very disadvantaged Singaporeans um, are not able to become homeowners, but they have access to public rental housing. And for public rental housing, rent is indexed to five to fifteen percent of household income. Nice. Oh man. Oh my god. Nice. That's amazing. Can yeah. You Im- so again, can you 30% imagine? Is what we do here in public housing. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's incredible. Yeah. So um, so anyway, and then it's very it's very secure tenure because it's public housing. Um, so it, it works well. It works well for disadvantaged Singaporeans, even though they're kind of I mean, they really are shut out of the home ownership system. Um, there still is public rental housing that's set aside for them. Hmm. Yeah, not perfect, but it's, it definitely seems more humane than what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, then the other thing uh, to, to wrap up this section is luxury public housing. So private developers have complained that the standard of luxury set by public housing is so high that they cannot compete. What a great problem to have. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. So very rich people live in public housing because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'll highlight one building. It's called the Pinnacle at Duxton. You can search this on the Internet um, and just look for some pictures. It's an amazing building. There are seven towel. Excuse me. 
There are seven towers. A tropical public park connects each of the towers at the 26th and 50th floors. And these parks are open to all. It's won multiple architecture awards. It's an amazing building. I've seen this building. It is an amazing building. Um, also, it's it's like huge. I mean, yeah. obviously from like 50th floor, like you can kind of in, right. interpret. But like, I mean, an unbelievable amount of people must live in this building, which is also really cool when you think about yeah. it. And it makes yes. perfect sense. I guess I just assumed that, like, Singapore, there, there must be a ton of rich people to to make it happen. Uh, we should definitely post pictures of this building in our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's an awesome building. Um, and there's a lot of real... I mean, you could spend all day just looking at public housing buildings. Um, that's kind of the most fabulous, but there are some really cool buildings of public housing in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, so then there's there's another thing that we you can't talk about the housing system in Singapore without talking about racial integration. Mm. So um, so in the past, Singapore was rocked with race riots that would leave dozens of people dead, hundreds of people injured and thousands arrested. So <laughs> Singapore is made up of mostly of ethnic Malays, Chinese Indians and Europeans, and they didn't always get along. And so um, all public housing buildings have strict integration requirements. So the proportion of residents living in every building of public housing of each race has to be the same as the proportion in Singapore generally. So for example, about 9% of Singapore is Indian. So about 9% of the residents of every public housing building are Indian. Huh. I'm just, I, 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 it's mostly one of these things where it's just like, it's, we can't get out of our own goddamn way. Like that makes yeah. absolute sense and it's great. And then you can understand that then like economic uh, prosperity and, and kind of like, you, you won't have these like as strong racial lines that are like, oh, well, if you, if, if you were happened to be born this race in this country, it's going to mean that you're poor. Like yeah. most likely you will be poor. Like, but we just can't get up in our own damn way. Cause we're like, that's not fair. What if I want to live in that building? I should be able to push the Indian people out. Yeah. It's like very much our mentality. And it just makes me sad because there's no reason for it. Yeah. Not really. Once again, this is one of those yeah. things where you say it, and I'm like, huh, that just makes so, that makes a lot of sense. I, I get, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat though. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still, so, so they went from, they went from, uh, mass, mass riots. Now, now they're integrating people in a way that is representative of their communities as a whole. Yeah. And what did and, it work? Well, so people are using the same elevators, same hallways, they're going to the same cafes and grocery stores and tensions just kind of have a way of calming down as your enemies become your neighbors and then your neighbors become your friends. Yeah, it's true. I mean, huh. who can stay mad at people when they're your neighbors and you're connected to each other by tropical gardens? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I mean, the buildings are run cooperatively. And so you have the same interest in electing good people to that management board to make sure that your home is taken care of. Right. And also there's, a, it seems like, I mean, I'm speculating here, but it seems like there's just an inherent sort of sense of collective engagement. Like you have to work together to make this place the best it can be. So you're all working together regardless of, of 
of race or, you know, you know there's sort of um, labeling factor that you might apply to a person. Like that's sounds damn utopian. Almost, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. this, yes. this does sound like something that um, this does sound like something that you would like cover in a, in a utopian sci fi novel. Yeah. <laughs> so to um uh so to to really put perspective on this 82% of Singaporeans or I'm repeating myself but 82% of Singaporeans live in public housing. So that means that 82% of Singaporeans live in perfectly integrated buildings and perfectly integrated neighborhoods. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's living, great. living in Milwaukee that would be a really dramatically positive change sure would so um all right so we're all we're we're getting to the end of this section so um housing systems that use the singapore model so again just to show that this isn't kind of a one-off like this can work in other places so hong kong uh is another kind of super public housing country um i guess they're not a country anymore um but so half of all residents in hong kong live in public housing and one third of all public housing is the Singapore model. Hmm. So owner occupied public housing. Hong Kong actually invented the Singapore model, but we call it the Singapore model because Singapore really ran with it, as you can see. And then some Austrian public housing allows for home ownership, but it's pretty small. Hmm. Um, and then we'll, again, make a comparison to the United States. So you probably were surprised when you heard that families with incomes up to a hundred thousand us dollars are eligible for subsidies. Um, that probably sounded nuts, but again, the United States subsidizes home ownership without any income limits. And we're really going to dig into this in the third episode, but you know, it, it sounds like they're doing things very different, but it might not be as different as it seems. Hmm. hmm interesting. It's third episode. <laughs> tension is building yeah. almost as much tension <laughs> As I feel about whether or not the Singapore model has continued to work uh, to this day. So that's where we're at right now. Um, and it is a happy ending. Oh, Yay! Yay! Go Singapore! Uh, <laughs> so the housing system really continued on with minimal reforms. Um, so by our four criteria, housing is still really affordable. Uh, the tenure is very secure. So, um, right, 91% of people or 91% of Households are homeowners, so that's a very secure. Um, there's a lot of public housing, very secure. Um, does great with quality. So we talked about luxury public housing. And again, this is probably the highest quality of, of housing that, of, of any of the countries that we're going to be talking about. It's extremely desirable. It's extremely high quality. And as you saw, the buildings are just so cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Singapore also probably does best with long-term maintenance. Um, their housing is regularly upgraded. Um, one of the biggest priorities they had and always have had in their public housing was to make it built to last. It's a great housing system. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So scratch it. Scratch. Moving to Norway. Let's all move to Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some really Singapore is a really weird country. Like they have corporal punishment and like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a weird country. That's like but... the thing I mostly know about Singapore is the is, is caning, right? Like, yeah. That's the whole yes, thing. Yes. Yeah. Singapore might, might I might have to I might have to do a little bit more research before I send it to Singapore. But at least their housing situation seems seems really good. Yeah. 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 Stay tuned for episode two. 
If you liked learning about other countries' housing systems, tune in for episode 2. We will take up three more housing systems. These are completely different from Singapore and Norway, as they rely on rental housing. Should be a very interesting episode. Mm. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, obviously, you found us, so you know where to find us. But if you want to mix things up or tell your friends, you can uh, track us down on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, really any of the podcast platforms of your choice. And while you are there, uh, please feel free to give us a rating or a review, ideally five stars, after you've uh, given us a rating or review. Please uh, also, I encourage you to check out uh, uh, the website for Chris's organization. That's housing the number four dot us housing for us. Uh, and after you've done that, check out our website outrageousmechanisms dot com, where you can find all find all kinds of other fun podcast programming to uh, to enjoy. Um, until then, uh, have a great time, and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 Outrageous.